the Weezy Podcast. Let your iPod bloom. Podcast 47 from the Wiggly sitting room in Lower Blakemere, Herefordshire. This is going to be an exciting one, Rich. It is, very much so. We're very pleased to welcome Amy Stewart from California. Thank you. Hello. To be with us today. And we're going to talk to Amy all about her bits and bobs, blogs and life, flower confidential books, worms, anything wiggly, etc. Indeed. But before that, Ricardo, whew, <laughs> last week's hedgerow row, yeah, yeah. you have opened a whole new can of worms. Uh, another one, yeah, 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 with, with the wrong people, some mm, might say. Definitely. Mm. Alison, who grows all our native hedge plants and all our native flowers, has come back with a rant, which is quite appropriate because Amy's blog's called Garden Rant, which I follow all the time, which I love, and my favourite gardening blog. Here it is. There's no hello. There's no anything. It just says this. (laughs) (laughs) Farmer Phil's comment, you can't have fields and fields of wildflower meadows and eat your loaf of bread every day, certainly rounded things up. I would like to know where on earth are the vast tracts of woodlands that farmers have cut down, which now are remnants of our hedgerows, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Hedgerows? originally were planted to one contain stock two to protect crops from neighbors straying animals three prevent stock from seeing and getting out fresh grass in the next field four provide shelter from northeast winds and rain five prevent body temperatures dropping and retaining energy levels six provide shade during the summer months seven indicate farm boundaries <coughs> farmers spend Many hours maintaining their hedgerows every year and it is to them that we owe providing us with miles and miles of fantastic hedges. Where else in the world has hedges like the UK? The only place I know is Tasmania, maybe. That's it, Alison. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, she's absolutely right, of course. <laughs> she's oh, well, that's she, all right, then. She's absolutely Farmer right. Phil, you win. No, he doesn't. He doesn't win at all. <laughs> Every point Alison made is right there, apart from the fact that she is obviously a bit biased about farmers. Oh, God, we're so grateful for farmers, guardians of the countryside. Oh, thank the Lord for farmers. And the fact that her parents are, well, interestingly enough, farmers. And she makes a proportion of her living from the farm. So, yeah. Well, isn't that good? She's passionate about it. She is absolutely important. She's passionate about it. And uh, and Alison, you know, uh, I think the world of Alison. In fact, I might have scuppered my chances now with any chance of a clandestine affair with Alison. (laughs) (laughs) Good. That's occurred to me several times. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Uh, This is going to be one of those X rated on iTunes. But what I will say to you now is I'm not arguing with Alison face to face. Oh. (laughs) Big old Phil, I'm happy with that. Fire a little, Alison. No, we'll keep it to these remote responses. So you agree with everything she says? Uh, well, apart from a few things. They're originally hedgerows. They literally are remnants of woodland. 
originally the British Isles was covered in woodland. Now we have 1% of what was originally here. No, but everything she says in, in terms of, sorry, everything she, <laughs> everything she says in terms of the hedge providing windproof barriers, protection from stock, shading, etc., etc., is absolutely right. Are you really trying to that, claim yeah. that some farmers went and decimated the countryside by bulldozing it? That was my dad, sorry. Some did. And that was because of the war when we needed food. Uh, it was. Not always, no. It was mainly because of, and it's not necessarily a farmer's fault. This is something aside that I don't really want to get into now. But a oh, lot that's of, right, chicken out. A lot of hedgerows <laughs> were taken out because of government incentives and farmers were encouraged to rip out hedgerows in much the no, same no, way. No, no, we're talking about government wood. Government incentives now offering farmers to put wood. hedgerows. Woodland. What I'm trying to make you feel is that the hedges generally could be managed to better effect to accommodate more invertebrate, more important species of invertebrates and, and mammalian and avian life alike with just a little bit more due care and attention and just a little bit more effort. Not a massive amount of effort, but just a little bit more. And the timing is all important. And this is the main issue I have with Phil. And may I congratulate you, Richard, in obviously communicating this wonderfully effectively and getting the farmers on your side. Not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great to live in. It's great to live in Herefordshire. And the I would like to know. Mountain. I would like to know if I said to you how you were to manage your hedge, not mentioning the wasps and the fire at this point, how you would like it. <laughs> I would manage my hedges in exactly the same way as I attempt to encourage Phil to do so. That's rubbish, listener. He set <laughs> yeah. fire to his hedge because no. there's a wasp in it. <laughs> Over to the music because much more exciting is we've got Amy coming in and this hedgerow route will continue because it just will. We normally read out our reviews on iTunes and this week... Luckily, we've got a review on the US iTunes site, so we thought it'd be nice if Amy would read it out. So over to you, Amy. Fun podcast. Watch out, you may learn something. This is a great podcast from the other side of the pond. They are passionate about their subject, presented in an entertaining manner, A+. Plus. Ooh, thank God it was a good one. Yeah. Nice, she's ready. Nice when we Americans grade you. <laughs> Don't you like that? We dole out our approval in little dribs and drabs. Here you go. And the pond and everything. A grade for you. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. We doff our cap to the great (laughs) and the good. (laughs) Try harder. (laughs) So, Amy's joined us and she bought us her new book, which is coming out, I think, in February. Can you first of all tell us, Amy, about that? Because that's very interesting to a wiggly listener. Yes. Well, the new book is called Flower Confidential... The Good, the Bad, and the Beautiful in the Business of Flowers. So this is a book where I went around the world and looked at... I I was really curious about how flowers make it to market. You know, you walk into a grocery store and you buy a bouquet of flowers and they're just there. I don't think anybody thinks about where they come from or what their history is. So I was interested not just in actually how they're grown and how they get to market, but even how they're bred, because I think we've all noticed that cut flowers are different from the flowers we grow in our own garden. You know, they last longer, they have less of a scent. They tend to be different types of flowers. Can't very well buy sweet peas in the grocery store. 
So I was just curious, like, how did all that come into being? How did all that happen? And it just so happened that the stargazer lily, which is, you know, one of the most notorious cut flowers ever grown, was basically invented right around the corner from me in my hometown in Northern California. And I found out this story that had not been reported upon before. So that was kind of my way into it. Here's the birth of a highly successful commercial flower. And from there, I... Went to Latin America to see how flowers are grown there. Of course, for you guys here, it would be Africa. Yeah. And I went to Holland to the auction and looked at some flower farms in California to kind of see the intermediate step there between the very high tech and the much less industrialized way of growing flowers. It was really fascinating. So Um, was your angle one of criticism or was your angle one of investigation? Well, I would say more of investigation. I think the flower industry is in a big transition right now. Ten years ago, I think this would have been more of a muckraking book. But the flower industry has been very slow to catch on to the fact that over time, consumers are going to start to ask more where their flowers come from, just the way they do their produce now and their meat and their milk. So they're starting to change. And I think consumers are becoming more demanding, which is good. You Mm. know, want higher quality flowers, flowers that last longer. Yeah. Do you think that's as a consequence of of heightened awareness? about where the product's coming from, or do you think it's because people have a more disposable income? Well, I think the story of cut flowers is the story of globalism, you know, global agribusiness. Mm. It very much mirrors what's going on with any other kind of agriculture. But I think people have become more value conscious. In, in the case of flowers, it's created this downward spiral. People want cheaper flowers. They perceive that flowers don't last very long. So they don't want to pay as much for them. Yeah, so sure. now they'll only pay seven ninety nine for a bouquet that they might have paid nine ninety nine before. Right. They get that seven ninety nine bouquet, which is even cheaper because there's been more downward pressure on the growers. Right. So it lasts even a shorter period of time. So now they only want to pay five ninety nine for it. So it's this kind of race to the bottom that I yeah. think has happened with sort of those commercial flowers. And I think that what you're talking about in the U.S. is definitely mirrored in the U.K. Mm-hmm. Except. Do you really think that people want their flowers to last longer if that means that they've been chemically treated? Our flowers, we don't really claim that they last ages, but we do know what's been put on them and where they're from. But also, people are going to get a longer vase life from your flowers because they don't have to come as far. They're not coming from Kenya. That's true. And so that cuts back on vase life. But a lot of what makes commercially grown cut flowers seem so unflower-like, they don't have a scent, all those things have more to do with breeding than how they're raised necessarily. Roses have all had the scent bred out of them because scent is very tied with ethylene production, which is the hormone that speeds ripening. So a flower is cut and it's going to die and it has to do everything in its power to try to get pollinated before it dies. So ethylene really accelerates all that. So by breeding flowers that don't have a scent, they'll last longer in the vase. Mm. I think that right now people just... I don't think they're making those kinds of trade-offs and those kinds of decisions. One thing that I like seeing in the flower industry now is a vase life guarantee. And I notice that here at Tesco, Marks & Spencer, I walk into a store and it'll say seven-day guarantee, nine-day guarantee. So people have some notion of what to expect. On the other hand, there's a florist in the U.S. that sells scented roses that are advertised to have a scent, like an old-fashioned garden scent. 
And they say right on the label, these will only last three or four days. Yeah. yeah. So people just know what they're buying. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I do still think it's a good value. This is the other thing. And and men, especially, I'm sure present company accepted. Men especially will say, I'm not going to buy flowers for my wife because they don't last long. Why spend the money on something that doesn't last long? And Absolutely. I say, well, Absolutely. how long? All the time. Do you? Yeah. You don't. That's awful. <laughs> This is tighter than tight. Okay, okay. Well, so, and now here's the argument. How long does dinner last? <laughs> like an hour, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure, you yeah, take somebody yeah, out for yeah, a nice yeah, dinner. You yeah, spend, yeah. what, 40 pounds on dinner or whatever it is. It's over in an hour. A yeah. concert is over in an hour or two. A yeah, bottle yeah. of champagne. She's right. In my house, a bottle of champagne lasts, you know, well, 30 minutes, minutes tops. <laughs> Somebody always comes round when you open it. That's what gets me. Yeah. You just get, and you go, oh, this is amazing. Then somebody comes, you go, oh. <laughs> so yeah. from that perspective, flowers that last three or four days or a week is actually a very good value. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're completely right. All uh, right. If, if for me, if I got a bunch of flowers, which I'm never likely to get, I don't think, but if I, if I were to get a bunch of flowers, it's the receiving of the flowers and the cracking open the bouquet and thinking, oh, wow, look at that. That yeah. is spectacular. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, I got to drop a bouquet off. There was somebody who ordered one from Wales for somebody who lives locally. All right. It was great. Yeah. Was it? I got to the door. Wow! Oh, it's so beautiful, and it was wonderful. And today, Rach had a you phone call. Quick tip or a thing, you know? No, nothing like that. Hey, oh, young lady. <laughs> today, Rach had somebody phone up to say that it was the best bouquet. It was so lovely, and there was all these variety flowers. It was wonderful. It yeah. made her day. And because there were so many colours. She'd got four vases, and she put the white ones in that vase, the blue ones in that vase, <laughs> the yellow ones in that vase, and the pink ones in that vase. And she'd put them all over the room and thought they were lovely. Yeah. It's very fashionable, <laughs> monochromatic colours. Yeah, well, that's yeah. right. It's very Martha Stewart. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I, I talked to a lot of florists, and they all said that. They said you never forget the look on somebody's face when they open the door and you're standing there with flowers. Yeah. And they are the one gift that is meaningful on so many levels and for so many occasions. If you think about it, you know, if someone has died, if you want to congratulate someone, if someone's sick, if they've just had a baby, if it's their birthday, if it's your anniversary, if you want to apologize. Yes. What else can you give to someone that says apology? Yeah. And flowers do so many things. And there's no one, you couldn't say that about chocolates. You couldn't no. say it Although, about, you milk know. Milk or chocolate. You You'd probably do that. Mm. You and your milk. No. I don't know. No, flowers are definitely person. unique. And that's why But only for women, though. You think? I wouldn't mind a bunch of flowers. If I was given a bunch of flowers, I'd be happy. I've never been given a bunch of flowers. Oh. <laughs> that's Michael had a bunch of flowers. No. There you are, you see. So the two fellas that are I get to write the cards. And it's always to women. It might be to a couple, mm. but I've never yet written a card to a man from anyone. Well, that's something yeah. we need to change, yeah. don't you think? I think most men would like to get flowers. And I think the flower industry would like to change that. Yeah, I well. think you're probably right there. Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And just going back a step into the world of worms, because, of course, we sell your wormy books. Yes, that's sort of how we met. Exactly. <laughs> Tell us about your background and how come there you are on the other side of the world, you are blogging, which we do, you are talking about flowers, which we do, mm-hmm. and you're a wormy person of great repute. I think it means I should come here and apply for a job. <laughs> <laughs> 
Have you got me opening? Yeah, yeah, we have. We've got the Amy Stewart opening. We just tailor the job around you. Perfect. (laughs) Tell us about it then. Well, The Worms started, you know, this is one of those books that I wrote because no one else had written it. You know, it was the book that I, I wanted to read. Have you read Sue Hubble's books about beekeeping? They're the sort of books that you don't have to be interested in bees to love her books because they're so fascinating. And I couldn't believe that there wasn't a book like that about earthworms. I had no idea when I started working on the book that there were so many different species of worms. Right. Most of them, for us in the U.S., non-native. Thank you very much. They're (laughs) British British species of worms that have invaded our country and traveled (laughs) across with us. I was also taken aback at how little we actually know about earthworms. Charles Darwin wrote this wonderful book about worms about 120 years ago now, I guess. And that research that he did is, in some instances, still the most recent work that's been done. Yeah. Like, we don't have complete life cycle studies about earthworms because they're so hard to observe. You know, they live in this opaque environment. You can't sit there and watch them in a laboratory. You can't see what they're doing. So there's many species of worms for which we don't have even the most basic information about how long they live, you know, what they eat and how far they travel. I guess I just sort of thought that we know everything. You know what I mean? Everything's already been discovered. Everything's already been found out. But in fact, and if anyone listening is looking for a dissertation topic, (laughs) there are loads of them about earthworms. (laughs) There's plenty of good work to be done. I I wish I had done my dissertation in there. I wish you had too. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, it would have been useful as things have What did you uh, do your Fishes. Oh, I, I did mine on the effects of angling on the River Wye. Mm. But it was funny, you, you mentioned about your colleague who written books about honeybees yeah. being really interesting for the value of the book. Because I read your book predominantly on train on a couple of train journeys down to London. Uh-huh. And I, I thought it was a lovely book because it was so easy to read. It's really nice. Yeah. And, and yeah. It, it's just well written and it goes extremely well. So you don't need to really think anything particularly about earthworms but you make earthworms sound quite endearing you know oh well that's good i'm glad you think so that's the trick that's the challenge i I mean i consider myself to be a writer who gardens more than a gardener who writes you know what i mean if i wasn't gardening i'd be writing about something else so yeah i definitely wanted to be a well-written book above all yeah yeah do you think is there any more mileage in writing any more worm books you know it's interesting i've continued to learn stuff people continue to send me their research and there's there are new things happening all the time but i don't know that there's going to be a sequel we joke about titles for sequels (laughs) (laughs) the earth moved again (laughs) yeah did it the earth moved some more And yeah. has the book sold all over America? How has it gone down? Yeah. I know it sounds, sells in England. There's a, right. The, oh, you know, the most amazing thing happened. I was at Great Dixter a few days ago and looking at Christopher Lloyd's library. Yeah. And nothing's roped off there. You can walk right up. I mean, you're not supposed to touch anything, but you can walk right up to the books and really see how he lived. And I'm looking at his shelves and there's my book. Oh! On his shelf! That's fantastic. Yeah. Ah, my heart just about yeah. stopped. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that must be. That must be an amazing that feeling. astonishing. Really I'm is. sure that Francis Lincoln, my publisher here, sent it because it still had the press release tucked inside of it and everything. Yeah, right, but right. still, just knowing that he thought enough of it to put it on the shelf rather than, you know. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's available all over here. It's done well in the States. And there was also a Korean edition, really? which was just surprising to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's been... We, we first saw it at Eden, didn't we? Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah, we found it at the Eden Project. Oh, good. So we must have that. Yeah, yeah. It's a good-selling book, though. And I think it'll probably be a good-selling book for some time, you know. I hope so. Time. But, Amy, it's not just worms, is it? You know. No. You know, it's one of those things. People... People read a book you've written and they feel like they know you. Yeah. And they feel like they must know pretty much everything about you. And so there's this part of me that sometimes wants to say, you know, there's more to me than worms. But I know you do wormy workshops because I've seen them on the web. Yes, I do. Yeah. No, they're fun. They're fun. I get big audiences too. I don't know. What kind of turnout do you guys get? I've I've had 70 people show up for a composting workshop. It astonishes me. Most people I've given a talk to is about 80 people. Uh, a gardening club. That's a good yeah. size which is, which is a nice, a nice audience. Yeah. yeah, but I think there's there's definitely potential for more. You know, Heather's done some uh, some spiel's to some big audiences, haven't you? My record's been three hundred and fifty six. <gasps> yeah, but that was wow. on women in rural enterprise, mm. and I was fearful. Fearful. <laughs> <laughs> you were fearful. Yeah. 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 I seem to really just made it, didn't you? Stop, stop. (laughs) Right, I want to talk to Amy about her blogging. Yes. um, My favourite is Garden Rants, but I do subscribe to your other blogs. Oh, thank you. Isn't it weird when you meet somebody who subscribes to your stuff or listens to things that you're producing? I know, it is, and especially the internet. You know, before I came over here, I told me, my friends would say, what are you going to do? And one of the things that I was going to do was go around and see people who I'd met on the internet. It made me doing online dating, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> spooky characters on the internet. But that is the great thing about blogging, I think, is that you make these global connections. You know, for me, sitting in my attic in the middle of winter in California, reading about some Australian bragging about their t- tomatoes in the middle of summer i just love that yeah i think it's really i think it's opened things up for gardeners and i think that most of us as gardeners are tired of garden magazines and garden tv shows that are just sort of more basic warmed over gardening advice that you can get anywhere if you need to know how to prune your roses there are a million places to find that information so i think garden bloggers started having real conversations about gardening yeah and I love that. Yeah. And maybe it's because we, we aren't burdened. <laughs> we aren't burdened with the need to make money. <laughs> Isn't it liberating, don't yeah. you think? Well, I'd like to make some money, so <laughs> no, I can't I know. say. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I know exactly I know, yes, mean. we're sort of... <clears throat> yeah, but the thing but, is, one of our customers is Allotment 21, who, yeah, yeah. Got, who live in Hereford and uh-huh. have got this wonderful blog. Uh-huh. And they let us know that their blue tips in their cam box Frankie, yeah. were hatching. And it was just fantastic. Yeah. Like, it's just up the road. Right. But to see it on a blog and yeah. to be able to follow it. Yeah. And then to send Richard Have you heard, out. heard from them recently? Um, yeah, because we invited her to our book launch. But we did. She was on holiday. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's um, right. We did invite her. But that me. connection, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, you can actually connect. People of like mind. And I've just got to read out a couple of your bits of manifesto on the garden rant because <laughs> I just think they're wonderful. It says, we are convinced that gardening matters suspicious of the horticultural industry and my favorite is turned off by any activities that involve landscaping with plant materials so how did you get together with these other bloggers how does it all work 
Well, we were all reading each other's blogs and commenting on each other's blogs. And, you know, for people who aren't that familiar with blogging, that's how those connections start to get made. You start posting comments on someone else's blog, and then they can follow you back to your blog if you have one, or your web page, or even just send you an email. And so people start to get to know each other, and it's an easy way for like-minded people to sort of come together. So we realized that we were all blogging about some of the same things, but we were also doing what a lot of garden bloggers do, which is just sort of keeping a record of what's going on in the garden. So it seemed like a good idea to keep that on our own blogs, but to have one place to come together to talk about the bigger world of gardening and bigger ideas and issues. And this is what I mean by gardening matters. It drives me crazy that gardening is always in the, you know, there's the home and garden section. So right next to an article on how to decorate with throw pillows is an article on how to train your wisteria, as if those two things have anything to do with one another. I just don't see gardening as being about decorating at all. I see it as how we interact with the plant kingdom. Do you know what I mean? I do. <laughs> of course you, you do. Uh, Are you with me yeah. on this? Oh, you've seen yes. my garden, haven't you? Yeah, he's definitely interacting with the plant kingdom. <laughs> I mean, I, not that I think design is unimportant, but I just don't see gardening as the decorations that we put around the edge of our house. You know, I just see it as so much more than that, something so much more fundamental. Even if you're not growing your own food, you know, you're growing a habitat and you're going outside and putting your hands in the dirt and connecting with the planet. It's the planet itself, you know, life on the earth. And I just think that's so important. And I think it should be front page news more often. So we try to put what we feel are you know, more the front page news kinds of stories. For instance, we've been ranting quite a bit about Heronswood. Yeah, tell me about that because I don't understand that completely. Well, the deal with Heronswood is that it was this wonderful specialty nursery um, in the Pacific Northwest up in Washington State. And a wonderful plant collector was going around the world finding interesting species and making them available through his wonderful little catalog. And then along comes giant corporate burpee seed company, buys him out and granted... The offer was accepted. I mean, it's not like he turned down the $2 million or the $5 million or whatever was paid for it. But then Burpee has now closed the nursery. So Mm. it's just another example of a big corporation coming along and gobbling up some small specialty plant nursery. And we were talking earlier about, you know, you walk into a garden center to buy plants. They're the same boring plants you see anywhere. I'm very surprised coming to the UK to see that you guys have a lot of the same plants for sale in your nursery that I have for sale back home. Like, I'd like to see something different. Mm. But when you think about it, most of them really probably are grown by the same large corporations. Mm. Well, I was saying to you, it's surprising if you can find a plant in amongst the vases (laughs) and the pet bedding and the... And the, and the throw pillows yeah. and the scented candles. Pillows and the candles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, God. So Garden Rant is where we've come together to rant about that stuff. And, you know, we get a little flack from people who say, can't the garden be a place of tranquility where no one argues? And can't we just share how beautiful our roses are and not get into any sort of grand debates? And I think that's fine, but I think there are enough of us who are so engaged, are engaged in gardening at the same level that we're engaged in everything else. You know, what? It, it, it can be almost a political act sometimes, and it can be certainly an environmental and ecological act to gardening. And you run into, you, you argue with the neighbors who don't want you planting a wildflower meadow in your front yard. So suddenly you're dealing with issues of city planning and, mm. and zoning, and how are we going to live together in communities? I mean, to me, those are big issues, and I love being involved 
in the garden. And ethical issues, you know. I think your garden rant is a bit similar to our hedgerow row mm. in the sort of farming area. Mm-hmm. It's exactly mm-hmm. the same feel to it. It is, it is. And it is, the thing is... Well, apart from the fact that Amy has people on her side... <laughs> But there are different opinions and there are different values and they can be aired and that's exactly yes, that they should be aired. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I've tried to get Richard into blogging, but I've yet to Well we you know, but at some stage we might we might do something. But your blog is uh, is very good, isn't it? I think the Hev blog is pretty cool. Oh my blog struggles because I'm yet to understand it. I'm not into it enough, but we're we're just about to start a whole Wiggly blog so that everyone can blog with whatever they want to. Nice. So that will be great. Well, you've leapt right over blogging into podcasting. You know, I have yet to figure that out. Oh, so. well, podcasting is great fun, isn't it? Yeah. Now, oh, we, we must cut this short because I know that Anne has arrived with the bouquets and I know that Amy would like to have a look at them. I would love to. And we to. would love to show her them. So, Amy, could you please give us the address of your blog's Oh, well, gardenrant.com, that's very easy. And I've actually recently consolidated what used to be three blogs into one. So now you can just go to amystewart.com and click on blog. And I'm right there talking about worms and chickens and gardens and flowers and everything else on my mind. Fantastic. (laughs) And would you do us the great honor of introducing our weekly Wormcast? Well, I just met Monty for the first time. And he tells me that I'm the first American he's ever met. I'm sure I've let him down because I think he was, you know, he'd rather meet Elvis, but instead he gets me. So, but here he is. The Wiggly Wormcast podcast by Monty, a weekly fact on worms. Under an area the size of a football pitch, there be as many as five million worms. Thank you very much. Lovely. Well, what a great day. Is there anything we've missed out, Amy? I don't think so. We've covered it all. Rants, blogs, worms, flowers. Brilliant. Just a job. We'll see you all next week (laughs) and thank you for coming. Thank you. Bye. Bye.